Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. Chris, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, man? Yeah, good. Good, good. I was just telling you off air, um, I'm preparing to get LASIK. So I'm, I'm glasses man for the next month. And it's funny because I actually have a bunch of like webinars and things I don't normally do, but like I'm doing a bunch of them this week, this month. And now I'm doing it like not with contacts in cause you have to, you have to not wear contacts before your, your LASIK surgery. Um, so it's been kind of been a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks. Um, will continue to be the next couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. Yeah. It's always uh tough when you've got personal stuff going on, business stuff going on, but got to make it work. Got to make it work. Yeah. I've especially been feeling like, um, the last two weeks is like the first time that I've been working like nights and weekends in like several months. Mm. I was like, man, this is a lot. This is, this is tiring. <laughs> I feel like I don't have the same amount of like energy or drive as I used to. Um, I know. whereas before I'd kind of be like happy to, or I would feel like obligated, like, okay, sweet. I have a free night. I can work on this thing. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I'm going to have to like work while I watch this TV show or I'm going to have to get this thing done and things slipping through the cracks. And I'm like, wow, this, this stuff is, this is hard. This is annoying. Yeah. I was talking with a friend the other day about how we, notice this pattern of founders who bootstrap their first company and then raise money for their second. Mm. And we're like, yeah, it's just like, it's so hard to do that grind again of, yeah, you know, bootstrapping, working nights and weekends, scraping by, trying to make it work. It's like, you can see why people go and only do that one time and, and raise mm-hmm. money the second time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're putting yourself through some, some suffering. Um, lots of different things that to roll with the punches. It's definitely like a dude. There's just like the the how wide the kind of set of responsibilities is weighs on you a little bit. Like the thing that's been like bogging oh, yeah. me down the last couple of weeks has been taxes. Uh, trying to really be on top of it for 2023, filing for 2022 because the last two years or maybe even three years we've had to file extensions. Um, mm-hmm. And just everything like takes forever and it gets wrapped up late and I'm, I'm kind of the bottleneck. So I'm trying not to be the bottleneck, but there's just like so many documents I have to pull. And now with swipe, well, adds like another layer of complexities so would have to kind of get that up and running. And we're trying to figure out there's some like interesting things I can, I can mention, but it's just been uh, a lot of like number crunching and um, hurting documents, <laughs> signing things. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot. And I don't want to spend yeah. like my, my prime hours on that. So then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna work on this at night and that way tomorrow morning I can get to this other thing and I do that thing, but then I still have to get back to taxes the next night or, you know, Saturday morning or whatever it is. And it's just, you know, it won't go away. Yeah. It's brutal. I've got some emails sitting in my inbox from, uh, my tax guy who, who needs some stuff from me. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it feels like it should all be so easy to automate, but just impossible given the current way that everything works yeah and it's so annoying i'm like even to be honest like my my tax sort of team they're they're great and they've been on it and uh like they're very proficient but it's still such a manual process that it's annoying where i'm like right oh why can't you just have all this in some sort of software that like takes all this takes care of all this stuff and like i'm still manually pulling spreadsheets and i have to hop on a call to review transactions and they're asking me for documents that i feel like should be able to just kind of like be forwarded over i don't know just like a bunch of stuff that takes time that feels like i shouldn't yeah yeah i know it's like i have them hooked up to our quickbooks but for some reason they need other stuff as well that they can't get out of there. Or, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's even more work looking at the QuickBooks <laughs> and it's like, how do you categorize things and what goes where I had to go back and reclassify. I don't know. It's endless. There, there was, um, I forget who said it, but I saw a tweet recently that was like the first 
like AI startup that um, uses AI to automate accounting is going to be a trillion dollar startup. (laughs) (laughs) There's all these people chiming in like, no, no, no. It's like all the, you know, it's the, the, the consultative part of things that, you know, it takes so much time. It's like, no dude, it's still so much manual work. Like we're still in there classifying transactions. We're still in there like manually pulling reports. We're still in there filling out documents. Like this should all be automated. Yeah. Man, I, I, I got to be careful and remind myself that this is not an AI podcast because <laughs> there, there's so much news. That's like, that's all I want to talk about is AI ideas, AI news. It's, it's awesome right now. Yeah. It's pretty wild, but, um, yeah. what's new in Jepus land? What's been going on? Oh man. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you used the word whirlwind earlier. It's, it's been a whirlwind few weeks. I think it's been mm. three weeks since our last recording. Yeah. Uh, feels like almost a completely different company <laughs> than three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so we onboarded uh, a contract developer. Uh, I mentioned this in the last episode, but... That's right. Yeah, uh, which is... He, he told me I can mention him, so it's, it's Andrew from Flow Phantom. Oh, cool. Uh, awesome. Yeah, which has been great. I mean, he's got deep expertise in Webflow and uh, building on Webflow, and uh, he was able to come in right away and be productive like even quicker than i anticipated uh which has been awesome wow yeah that's yeah that's huge i mean geez just in the last three three weeks yeah yeah so i've been working with him pretty closely as far as uh just you know getting him on board and familiar with the code base and i mean he's done a lot of that work on his own been really impressed with him coming to me with like here's the things that I understand. Here's the things I think I understand. Here's the parts where I, I need some clarification and having him like drive that process has been awesome. Mm. Uh, you know, speaks to his like senior level ability and, uh, you know, talents and all of that. So that's made my job as far as like getting him up to speed a lot easier. Um, and it's, it's been a really good experience so far. That's great to hear. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. The more like we go through that, there's just nothing that really replaces that kind of hands-on experience with exactly the thing that you're building, that you're working on, you know, like having been developing for Webflow already, <laughs> I mean, like right. you can't ask for more. And, and so I'm glad to hear that that's working out because I can only imagine how huge of an advantage that is. Yeah, no, it's cool. Like we're, we're getting pretty close on shipping the first feature he's worked on. Um, and it's something that customers have been asking for for a long time and it just feels like okay this is awesome like we're gonna be able to deliver more value to customers Hmm. uh and it wasn't written specifically by me i've been off doing like a million other things uh, you know in the time that he's just been focused on this one feature uh, Mm -hmm. you know after after he got up to speed and like seeing how that works from like the company perspective has been really cool yeah 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 man Huge congrats. That's a, that's yeah. a big win. Yeah, no, that's, that's been great. And then at the same time in parallel, uh, Noah has been onboarding our two like part-time support hires. Uh, and that's been another case where like I was on some of the initial calls and then just kind of left everything else up to him as far as, uh, you know, developing a process with them, how they, how they work together on the support tickets, uh, how they go about putting together the documentation. And I've been like so hands off with that. It's, it's like, I can't even believe it sometimes because (laughs) I, I always, you know, I've, I've really in the last few weeks, it's, it's been very apparent to me that I tend to micromanage. It's hard for me to delegate and I'm seeing that when I do delegate, when I do let go more, like people are performing better. Noah's like, you know, he's having to step up and take on almost like more of a manager role and he's mm. doing a great job of it. Um, and, you know, I've given Andrew more agency than I've given developers in the past. So as far as like I, in the past, I've, uh, I've like predefined how I would build something too much. Oh, I see. Okay, here's, you know, here's, 
the steps I would take. Here's exactly what it needs to do. Maybe even like, here's the files to go look at. And I pulled back from all of that and just said like, you know, here's someone who's an expert. Like he, he can go figure this stuff out and, and he has. And uh, I know as a developer, I would rather work that way. So why am hmm. I managing people the opposite? <laughs> um, man, it's been, it's been so cool seeing like, like I said, seeing people step up and, uh, and just perform well. And I'm so much less involved in everything in that aspect. Like it's, it's awesome. Yeah, man. Doing yeah. CEO stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it has given me some time to step back and like think a little bit bigger picture. I'm, I'm very much less in the day-to-day support now than I was even a month ago. Um, hmm. And it's, yeah, it's interesting, like sort of thinking about the direction of the company and where we're headed. And, uh, I described it to someone else as like taking my head out of the sand a little bit and facing reality of like, right. <laughs> we, we do need to make some big changes this year. Um, and we're, we're going to figure out how to do that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Man, that's really cool to hear. I love that. Um, we can kind of popcorn back and forth a little bit, but one of the things I'll follow up on uh, related to taxes has been some interesting stuff uh, with Swipewell. So this is our, like, our first year sort of in business. Um, didn't do like a ginormous amount of revenue and also accumulated some expenses on our personal cards that we need to account for to actually file oh, yeah. our taxes. And this is my first experience kind of going through like the the, the tax process with a, a C Corp. And it's been really interesting because again, but before I was like, all right, well, I have some like secondhand knowledge of how everything works with an LLC being a pass through and sort of just having gone through it a couple of times now, it feels very familiar. And then, you know, end of the year comes around. I'm like, oh, I should probably tell my tax people about swipe. Well, <laughs> finally, <laughs> <laughs> or like just figure out if they need to even know about it. And then it turns out like, oh yeah, actually it's a lot more, like it has to be a lot more official since it is its own entity being a mm, C Corp right. and not like a pass through entity. And um, so like, I can't just do the taxes myself essentially. Like we probably could, but it really like wouldn't make very much sense. And it would still cost around the same amount as it would to have a more like held, handheld, process. Um, yeah, one of the big takeaways for me that's been really interesting has been, um, it's actually really good that we went through it. And again, this just kind of speaks to the value of having someone who really knows what they're talking about in this front is all the nuances around, um, being able to lend to yourself through a business. Um, also having to capitalize a business to like, make official your, your stock purchase at incorporation, um, all this stuff. So, so basically the TLDR is, uh, I was kind of just thinking, okay, we need to like file our taxes and create a P and L and then like send, you know, send a, write a check to the government for like a corporate tax. turns out that is not nearly as sophisticated as we could be. And what we are going to do is we're going to reimburse ourselves, me and Connor, for the expenses that we have occurred um, through 2022. And then we're going to use some of that money to actually capitalize the business to officialize our stock purchase based on incorporation. Because if we don't put any money in, then it's sort of still like waiting for that to happen. Okay. Uh, in other words, but we're doing it through money that we've already generated through expenses that we are reimbursing ourselves for. So it makes it easy because we're not actually like putting any money in. We're just using the same money essentially that we're, that we're owed that we've already paid for the business. Um, and I didn't even know that this is a thing, but you, you know, we've basically like established a loan to ourselves from the business and that loan could actually be like a really substantial amount that like the business can pay interest too. Now we're not doing that, but it's opened this up, open up this whole world of like, Oh yeah, actually this is like pretty, pretty interesting. Cause now we really don't have like a profit to show and we've just used the business to capitalize the business 
ourselves. Um, and like just going through the whole like C Corp tax filing process for the first time, understanding that and, and knowing that has been really eye opening. It's like, okay, this is how it works. This is how you do it. I'm glad that we like did things right the first time, essentially <laughs> kind of on accident, yeah. a little bit yeah. coincidentally, but you know, now anytime in the future, like, I can know exactly how this works and what to do. Mm, yeah. No, it's always, it's always good to go through that process as painful as it is the first time. Mm -hmm. So is there no minimum amount to like initially capitalize the business? Well, that's the thing that I didn't realize at first was, so we, we incorporated through first base, which is a calm company, um, calm company fund company or a calm fund company, I guess probably easier way to describe it. But, um, in that process, you can, they have like a standard amount of shares that are issued to the founders of the business. And it's normally about 10 million. And so depending on how many founders you sort of decide, okay, what's the like allocation split between them. Um, and then there's like a standard purchase price. Um, cause it has to, it can't be zero essentially it has to be something. So it's like point, uh, zero, 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 one per, per share. Uh, so it's like a 10th of a cent or maybe a hundredth of a, of a cent, one of those per share. And since there's 10 million, it basically works out to be about $500 per founder or a thousand dollars to capitalize the business as a whole. I see. Um, but you can change that. So you can change that default value of what each share is worth that you're purchasing, purchasing, um, but then that also reflects on the number of shares outstanding and, uh, the less shares there are, if you want to make a simpler math or a less amount, then, the, you know, basically like the, uh, the less you have to give out in a way that makes the math easy. If you were to have a more complex cap table with, if you're raising a fund or if you're, um, setting aside a, a pool for employees or advisors or whoever else, right. Um, so anyways, all that to say, like the very standard way that it's set up through first base is 10 million shares at $1,000. So that works out to be about, you know, 0 0.001 or 0.0001 per share. Okay. Yeah. It's cool that you guys are doing it right up front and you're going to have all those options available to you going forward, whether you raise or give employee stock or whatever. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially important too, because we would, would never have really known that. And I think actually it could really get you into trouble because if we had, if we had never capitalized the business and then we had sold the business, for example, I think that we would, it would probably end up in being like a, a really heavy tax burden later because we wouldn't have had, like we wouldn't have actually have issued ourselves the stock until the business was sold. So there would be no, yeah. It would be like a kind of short-term capital gains. There would be no, uh, you know, QSBS. Like I'm pretty sure there's a lot of implications for that. So I was like, yeah. oh shoot, <laughs> I'm glad that we really like caught this one um, because it's it'll work like retroactively for when we actually incorporated the business. Um, but it's better to do it now than you know in three years or five years or any longer really. Yeah. Nice. How's uh how's swipe well been going other than the taxes? I've been curious to hear. Yeah, it's been going good. I think it's been a little bit slow just in the sense that um we've both been really busy with a bunch of other things that like the kind of like haven't been able to chip away at the to do list as much as we want to. Yeah. Um I think especially again, I think the last time I talked about like getting away from the dependency of having to wait on SEO to start really working. Um, so I've been trying to schedule and do a lot more like newsletter cross promos and webinars and, um, things like that, that are sort of like immediate boosts. Um, I'm trying to make connections to the more like direct response copywriter community to recruit affiliates and do a lot of, you know, content cross promos with them. Um, still kind of more link building, but that's really like a grind what would make things a lot easier is if we have a lot more users to embed links onto their site or embed mm. collections onto their site. Um, cause that'll automatically drop a link in. So things like that, where it just feels like we're still kind of pushing the flywheel to like get that initial momentum. Um, 
but still not there. Like it's still not really moving on its own quite yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but definitely Early like we're breaking ground man. on. <laughs> I know. So pushing that, pushing that boulder uphill. Yep. We're breaking so ground on um, on team accounts and having that as well. Like I want to do a lot more direct outreach and really be like, hey, do you want this? Okay, if not, tell me why, and then we can kind of chip away at the use cases and features needed to really make for a strong use case on the team's front, but also just, again, doing more direct outreach to freelancers I know and marketing agency owners and um, other marketers that I know and just be like, hey, why wouldn't you use this? Give it to me straight. And then working on against that instead of just kind of waiting for them. Yeah. Have you guys talked about the team's like architecture as far as how it'll work with billing and all of that or yeah yeah we have um extensively (laughs) and uh we've been kind of stealing notes from swiping notes from how other team oriented um apps have been doing it so like i think probably our main inspiration has been uh savical and notion um and uh what was the other one i think there's one more that we were looking at um, shoot, I can't think of it now, but yeah, there's a lot of really, there's a lot of complexities in there. Um, I think a lot of the work that Derek has done with Savvy Cal has really helped just in like splitting out the account owner versus the billing owner. And what if you have multiple teams, how do you architect that in a way where you can easily switch between them without having to log in and out and do that seamlessly without um, kind of losing or like churning out users when they switch teams or when the billing owner switches. Um, so Connor could speak a lot more to like how that actually works, but we've yeah, like, yeah. yeah, we have like a really kind of feature complete, like here's how it should work with all the detailed okay. requirements for teams. Um, but I don't actually know like how it's going to work between in, in the code. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really should just, works seamlessly between teams switching, having separate billing owners, um, not churning people when they, when the billing owner changes and they're switched teams or added or removed from teams. Um, there's a lot to it actually. It's kind of hairy. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising to me, like you said, the complexity and also just how many variations of the concept there are when you look at different SaaS apps and how they handle yeah. team accounts and billing and I've seen some, or even like workspaces is sometimes related to team accounts or in place of team accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We'll have to do kind of like a, a retro on, um, like how it ends up working. Um, cause it, there's even things like inviting a user to a team and what are the permissions and who's able to do what, uh, who's able to share versus who's able to, you know, all the, all the like levels of users between like a admin versus a contributor versus a viewer, for example, or things like that. Um, and yeah, it seems like everyone has a little bit of a different flavor of how they attack it. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, I think that we like, we like the way that Savvy Cal and Notion do things the best. So we're trying to model the most after them, but I think that's, there's also like a lot of feature parity to be able to do it like them where we're like, okay, maybe we need to like, we have like an MVP version of this as well. Just being able to ship that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Savvy Cal, this is a bit of a tangent, but I've been, um, I see Derek's been blogging a lot more lately on his like personal site and really enjoying how he's describing some of their development process. Uh, so he, I think he had an article talking about how like when they go to ship a new feature, like they try to ship it, basically to production on day one or as soon as possible behind a feature flag just so like some of that code is out there sitting on production servers right away Mm -hmm. Uh, and then slowly building it out and then giving some users access to it via the feature flags and uh, i just thought that was the the way you described it was like a um, really informative uh as far as their like fast iterative process for for shipping yeah yeah, you know, he's talked about this. Actually, I hadn't seen that he started blogging. I think this is part of the the Twitter 
algorithm problems <laughs> that people are <laughs> complaining about. So it's like kind of been a mess lately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that actually, but yeah, we, we've been talking about, it. he's mentioned some of these things on our, on our catch up calls, but, um, yeah, they, they definitely do a really good job of being able to, uh, like throttle. And, um, you know, he mentioned it on startups for the rest of us recently where they basically figure out this way. I forget what, what it is. It might be like a little, uh, like a gem or an extension, or it might just be something they built themselves where you can say, okay, okay like 10% of the users have access to this now, just make it live instead of having to choose like which users those actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sort of like automatically rolls it out to them. And then you can kind of increase that over time to see how well everyone starts to adopt it. And if there are bugs, so it's not just like hundred percent or 0%, you can actually throttle up and down depending on how far along you are in the, in the process. Yeah, no, that's cool. Like in the past I've announced on Twitter, you know, Hey, this new feature is available for early access, like DM or reply. Um, which I think is, you know, it's good to try to generate a little bit of buzz. Um, but sometimes you don't always get as large of a beta tester pool as you would like doing that. Right. So being able to do that in addition to also turning on for just like 10% of random accounts or whatever would be mm-hmm. sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Um, do you know how he actually does that? I, I forget if it's like, I a, think it was the, uh, the, I think he's using a prebuilt library for that. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, like a gem or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably something specific to, um, the framework he's using, but yeah, it's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. I don't know all the implications, but Yeah. Anyways, I, I just thought I've seen him talking more about stuff like that recently. And, you know, it's, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. It's one of the things I find challenging about being, you know, founder, solo founder, uh, is it's hard to, I, I wish sometimes like I could go into another company and just spend like a month there mm. learning their processes. <laughs> like, you know, I'm starting to do more code reviews now and, and reviewing pull requests. And I'm like, I can only do what I know how to do. You know, I watched a couple of videos on YouTube to try and find some best practices. Um, but it would be nice to say, well, you know, how do they do it at, I don't know, XYZ startup linear or, yeah, um, yeah. you know, some, some of the other ones or, you know, even some of the bigger companies like Google, like it's probably less relevant for our size, but it would still be interesting to see and, and learn some of those processes. Um, right, right. Where you get like a, you can compare how different companies do the same thing. Yeah. Um, that way you can kind of like pick and choose which ones are right for you. Almost like a, like a, a flow chart kind of comparison where you're like, okay, here's like the, here's the SOP for any one of these things, exactly. but the different versions for each company. So you can see pros and cons for each one. Yeah. <laughs> it almost makes yeah. me think of, uh, the one side I love page flows, which shows you mm-hmm. like video recordings and screenshots of like all these like SaaS apps, different, you know, whether it's their onboarding or their account management pages or whatever it is. Um, it's like you need a page flows for yeah. SOPs. <laughs> yeah. Right. That'd right. Be cool. I could totally see that. I know. Yeah. You know, those like, um, I feel like engineers are the Kings of flow charts and like describing you know, like everyone has like these like boxes and arrows connecting each other and boxes, little boxes inside of big boxes. And mm-hmm. that's something that only like an engineer can really wrap their <laughs> mind around to create. Cause I sit down and like in front of a, a mirror or whimsical and I try to create one of those and I'm, I get so lost. <laughs> like I have no idea what I'm doing here. It's just, Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. We've actually, I've, well, me personally, and then also Noah as well, we've been trying to be a lot better about documenting processes and developing mm. SOPs. And man, one thing I've noticed is like how insidious Slack is, uh, sort of as an anti-pattern for this. <laughs> like it's so easy to just either ask someone a question on Slack or just Slack them the answer. And I've had to stop myself oh. many times of like, uh, you know, if Andrew asked me a question about development, um, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll just like send him these two articles to read about, you know, our testing framework. And I'm like, wait a second, like this isn't useful for just Andrew. This is useful for any future developer we hire. So I don't need mm-hmm. to just like put this in Slack. I need to put this in a notion document and then Slack him the notion document with like, right. Right. You know, a little bit of a description and whatnot. And 
man, breaking that habit. Cause Noah and I, I mean, we just, we slack all day long. We, we jump in like audio calls, you know, slack huddles whenever. Um, and it's kind of made me realize like, oh, it, this whole time, if we'd been capturing things in notion, like we would have so much more hmm. documentation and like tribal knowledge actually like put down on paper. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been interesting to see that as we're trying to really focus on capturing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I feel that it's funny. Cause that going back to, um, we'll call back to a LASIK, this whole thing with like, be, being delayed in my LASIK surgery was all because of, you know, that this basically, you know, this tech kind of lead, not recognizing my stigmatism and that pushing back the whole process. And in my mind, I was super annoyed because I was like, dang it, like, why, why isn't this in like one of their SOPs or like, this is such a critical thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it didn't need to come in today. They should have caught this. And in my mind, I'm like, ah, this, this should be like a learning lesson for them. And I hope they like learn from this and actually <laughs> integrate it into their process. Yeah. But that happens all the time. Like we're all guilty of that where to them, it's like a little mistake. Like, oh shoot, whoops. You know, I know that, but I didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. But you don't think about like, how do I integrate this into the process that it never happens again? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that for us with support where, you know, when we were smaller, it was easier to, if something like that, you know, we have some screw up on our side. Okay. We just go fix it and it never happens again. And as we've gotten, you know, larger and further along, it's like, well, now we can't do that as rapidly. Uh, we can't just, otherwise we're just going to be at the whim of, you know, whatever comes in the inbox that day, uh, and, and trying to fix those things. Um, and, and some of it just like is, is more, you know, user error or not understanding the instructions or whatever. But for the first time, we're finally for, for our side, for our internal team, putting together like okay, if you see a ticket like this, you know, there's almost, it's not really in flowchart form, but it's almost like a, if this, then check this. If that, mm-hmm. you know, go check this other thing. Or you respond to the, the customer with this question. Uh, you know, can you send us your Webflow project read-only link? Um, and it's it always felt to me like, oh, this is just too impossible to capture. Uh, you know, every ticket is different. But like, as we've actually been doing this, it like, there still is a lot more variance than you would see in most SaaS applications hmm. because we're running on people's websites. They can do anything with their website. You know, it's, there, there is a lot of variation, but even like nailing down a basic framework of, okay, well maybe at some point it breaches the, you know, okay, now we got to throw it over the wall to the technical team. But at least like there are now steps in place, like there's a roadmap to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, man, it's funny. I've always been so disorganized and, uh, you know, hate process and that's why I want to do a startup and all this stuff. And now I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm starting to get more organized, starting to build more process. What is happening? Totally. I know. Yeah. Now you're the one that's like laying down the hammer and being like process everything has to go through the SOP. <laughs> what are you doing going rogue over there? Get back to the scripts. I know. Yeah. I feel that there's actually, I was just thinking there's probably a SAS idea in there somewhere where it's like a lot of these, you know, support questions or just like general things. It's probably helpful to see like what's the history like, you know, maybe it gets thrown over the fence to like the technical team to really take a look at it. Cause you've exhausted all their options, but you still have to be able to communicate, like here are all the other options that we've explored and you're sort of like the last resort or even just being able to see a history of like, okay, we tried this. Nope. Going over here. You can kind of like see where someone is in the maze. Um, that is really hard. That's a very difficult thing to train on you know, where there's nothing kind of guiding you. Yeah. Anyways, we're, we're thinking about that, that exact same thing with swipe. Well, creating help docs for the first time. Um, and so now I'm like just creating these little help docs in notion, creating screenshots. And it's really forced me to think like very step-by-step step, more than I would be like, Oh, you just go to the Chrome extension and you know, click screenshot. Like, Oh, actually no. First we should make sure, okay. Do they have the, the extension installed? If yes, are they on a website or are they logged into a, a website that we can't 
you know, get a hold of. Okay, we've, you know, limited that. Now, are they trying to take a, a full page? Are they doing, trying to do a section? Or are they trying to, you know, you're like going through all the steps and you're like, hmm, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. <laughs> like, no wonder <laughs> someone has trouble with this. Um, but you have yeah. to go through every single step. And um, it's been very informative of seeing like, yeah, there's a lot here actually. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, man, it's so hard when you're staring at your own product for, you know, hours a day, days on end for, for me for years now <laughs> right, <laughs> to right. try to see it with like beginner eyes. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. 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 Which is why I it's know. important to do that documentation early. Like you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel you. Even now yeah. I'm looking at the list and at first it was like, okay, we should probably just have like a, you know, getting started guide, um, a Chrome extension guide and like an email swiping guide. But then I'm like, Oh wait, what about sharing a collection? What about embedding a collection? What about, and then like all of a sudden the list was like 10 docs long. I was like, Oh wow. I need to spend some real time here. <laughs> I can't just like knock this out in an hour. This is going to take like, a couple of days really to do. Yeah. Do you guys have an automated email sequence like welcome? And then, you know, depending yeah. on what steps they take. Hmm. Let me remind myself and how sophisticated it is. Um, we do have some, I know we have some nudges kind of built in to help people get to those first initial, uh, kind of wins and aha yeah. moments. And we have some kind of generic, like educational type of emails, but let me take a look here. We have, so we have an onboarding sequence uh, or automation within user list and it's seven emails long. So we have a welcome and the welcome kind of just is introducing uh, me and Connor. And then we have an educational one about tags and filters. We have an educational one about email swiping, educational about annotations, educational about collections, one about um, like where to find marketing inspiration, another one about swipe well versus kind of fill in the blank, like Notion, Pinterest, or anything else. But then we have a couple of nudges, like we have another automation to upgrade um, an automation sequence that reminds them to swipe if they haven't within the past week. And let's see, what's this one? Pre-upgrade nudge. Oh, and then we have one that we send out right before someone hits the, the paywall to kind of encourage them be like, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep going. <laughs> mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But um, no, actually we don't have anything quite yet around um, pushing someone to do like take a critical step within the onboarding. We have like the whole side panel onboarding um, like a guided tour idea where it's like that in-app checklist, but no emails to accompany it. It sounds like at least like if they haven't swiped something, you do send an email for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a reminder every seven days if they haven't. And then the other onboarding emails, there was like, I don't know, maybe six of those. Is that just like one day after another? I think so. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yep. One day after another, just a one day delay between all of them. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we send out a welcome email and never email them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can put on my to-do list for, for three years to do some sort of a automated sequence. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, with this whole like help doc stuff, you could probably just copy and paste any one of the help docs for one of the boosters into a mm -hmm. sequence and then just send it out to everyone. Hey, here's what this one does. The next day, here, here's what this other booster does. And then you're just like walking through what it looks like to get started and how it works. Yeah. Yeah, because we get a lot of people or we get a higher percentage than I would expect of people who 
either sign up, connect their Webflow account, and then never create a booster, or start creating one and then never finish it. And it's like those two steps are oh yeah, easy yep. email triggers. Yeah, maybe. Problem is, like, I can't stand Active Campaign and their API and mm. their email <laughs> editor. <laughs> and I've been paying them for three years, and maybe I should just, like, make the switch to user list. Do it, man. I think yeah. they have, a like, a, a migration service now, too, where they okay. uh, they really kind of hold your hand in, like, the export and import and working with the API and, yeah, get everything kind of set up. Okay. Yeah, I might have to give that a serious shot because... Yeah, we're just like <laughs> we're not taking advantage of uh, you know all the the win back opportunities and uh, yeah, just kind of lighting money on fire, paying for something we're not using. Yeah, it's a really critical part. I mean, it's probably it's basically like your CRM, right? But also has the email automations and stuff like that. Uh, I know Userless also has like the in app messages too, which can be helpful if. You know, someone gets stuck somewhere and maybe they didn't see the email. You can also show it within the dashboard. Um, but I'm a big believer, especially in those like little nudges. Uh, mm -hmm. hey, do this. You haven't done it yet. And then the fill the blank for like the important things they need to do. They haven't done yet. And those are each a little nudge. Yeah. Which yeah, I should practice more what I preach. <laughs> swipe well. <laughs> we, we did a lot of this. We're doing a lot of this with Savvy Cal. Um, you know, first, uh, first meeting link, first team, first, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, availability, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's, a, it's especially like a great kind of plan B for someone who doesn't, that doesn't do it directly within the product the first time, you know, maybe they exit, they come back, they might not be oriented on like where they left off before. Yeah. Totally makes sense. I have, um, I have one more update on my end and it's kind of an admission, but I think it's a pretty interesting case study. Um, interested to hear what you, th you have thought about it or think about it if you've been paying attention, but I've actually been using a ghostwriter the last month to post on Twitter and LinkedIn for me. What? And, uh, it's not really ghostwriting cause like ghostwriting really is like someone is doing all the writing for you. And what this person is doing is they're taking um, and adjusting content that I've already written in my still work in progress book, <laughs> Founding Marketing, and just re repurposing it for Twitter and LinkedIn. Mm. So they're not like writing any net new content. It's all literally like from me. It's my words. I don't know how else to describe like who that person, what they do other than ghostwriting. That's why I call it that. But yeah. um, turns out, you know, you post more and numbers go up. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been one of the biggest growth months for the newsletter um, oh, wow. to date. And uh, I'm seeing, starting to see like a steady trickle of new followers again um, and starting to grow on, on LinkedIn as well, which has been interesting. Taking a very experimental approach to see like what gets more reach and whatnot. And I think actually there's something to LinkedIn where like posting every day, especially gets you some favor with the algorithm, however that works. Cause you just start getting exposed to more and more people. Um, even if like the engagement isn't there, like the reach increases, which is interesting. But, yeah. um, yeah, the last month has been really interesting. Um, I'm going to continue on cause it's also, I think it's kind of good, uh, good fodder to like test book material in totally. like, a real visceral way. And, getting lots of like comments and replies and people DMing about stuff. So it's kind of cool, like inbound automated way to get book, book feedback. But, um, yeah, that's definitely been interesting. I was like kind of hesitant for a while. I was like, I just need to do this because I'm not going to be able to do it myself with my limited time and uh, it's been working out. That's awesome. So just so I understand they are taking content, like snippets that you wrote for the book or maybe even like summarizing a chapter or page or whatever that you wrote for the book and then posting that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just kind of like cool. reformatting and trimming for Twitter mm -hmm. and LinkedIn, you know, cause in a book you can be very exhaustive, you know, comprehensive, yeah. but they're sort of like making it into something more bite-sized 
or into a thread or just like highlighting a little, you know, piece and kind of connecting it to a larger theme, especially like the biggest part why I hired this person is because they're, I think they're pretty good at writing hooks. And in the book, you don't really need a hook as much because you've already got someone kind of reading through it and the chapter title is a little bit more like the hook, but you know, each tweet and LinkedIn post is like, you're getting someone to open up your book. So you have to like really loop them in. And that's the part that takes the most time in my opinion. And yeah. the thing they've been doing a good job in. Nice. Yeah. That's a cool experiment. Yeah. For relatively cheap too. Um, been happy with it. I'm, I'm basically justifying it with the, like if this can materially, materially increase the growth rate of the newsletter, then by the end of the year, that will command more ad revenue that will offset the cost. And yeah. uh, I think that will prove true. Yeah, it makes sense. But just so everyone knows, it's still me. I'm not just like <laughs> selling out with someone who's writing all my stuff. I'm still a smart person. They're just repurposing oh, all my stuff in a way yeah. that actually gets posted online. Do, do they have their, your login? Do they post for you? Uh, it's all directly through uh, Typefully because they have like a team oh, okay. feature. Um, so cool. that makes it really easy too. And they're about to come with a LinkedIn integration, which I'm stoked about because we've been kind of like manually copying and pasting things over. But um, yeah, it's been a great like, uh, you know, like medium to work within. Yeah. Is Typefully their main thing now? Like instead of Mailbrew? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I wish I'd, I could say more because I'm on their like advisor list. But um, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, they've been growing like a weed, and like I think for the past like year, spending ninety five percent of their time on Typefully versus Millbrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been reading some stories of uh, you know founders who reach a certain point with the first startup and then go on and see either a bigger opportunity or, um, somewhere to pivot. And they're, they're definitely one of those that are doing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest thing for them was, um, Millbrew is very B2C in the sense that it's sort of just like, a, I hope you save time and make your life a little bit easier but it's not like a huge like pain solver. And then yeah. like, Typhoon is like, hey, we're gonna help you grow your audience on Twitter, which is th- kind of directly related to some sort of business outcome, like making more money or, um, you know, feeding someone's ego, right? So uh, <laughs> it's, it's an easier sell for sure. Yeah. Uh, to be in the business of making someone more money, that's, that's a great <laughs> spot to be in. <laughs> yeah, right. Make more money or, uh, save time or save money. The big three. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the business of save time and I feel like that's probably the weakest one to be in. Yeah. Swipe is probably there too. I think we're trying to get, we're trying to move more towards that, like help you, um, make more money as well. Like that's definitely, you know, closer to the money, the better. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true for JetBoost because a website is inherently very, very close to the money and, yeah. I mean, if we were in more of like the e-commerce space, you could see a clear yeah. ROI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> well, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, 2023 churn in SaaS. What are you seeing? Oh. <laughs> what am I seeing? <laughs> yeah. Like you get, you get like a broad overview sometimes of hmm. the SaaS world. Um, shoot. I mean, I feel like if anything, the like churn that I've seen directly is a little bit more like trimming the fat between users and usage and the plan that someone is on versus like just canceling an account directly altogether. It's a little bit more of that like contraction churn mm-hmm. than it is like logo churn okay 
Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'd have to imagine for sure that like between all the layoffs, those are all seats that customers are, or that SaaS businesses are losing, you know, in their customer base. But um, I don't know. I'm still a little bit like, I think things have slowed down, but I don't know if they've really like gone negative in the sense that everyone's just like pulling out and really cutting a lot of things in their tech stack. Yeah. Yeah. Just curious. We were definitely seeing an increase in churn in January and February Mm. and not December, which was surprising to me. Hmm. Um, Yeah. It's probably that end of year. Like, all right, now that we've looked at all of our expenses, what things are we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like trying to get a sense for, you know, I'm seeing kind of mixed signals on Twitter as far as Webflow freelancers, agencies, and kind of how busy they are with work. Um, so one large agency actually said they had like 80% turnover their, of their client base in January, oh, wow. which I thought was insane. Holy uh, crap. I, yeah, I don't know like the the agency business model enough. and Maybe I should know more about it, but that seemed high to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, most of last year when you know all the news started getting negative, like it seemed like people in the Webflow world weren't too affected. Hmm. Seems like there's maybe a bit of a slowdown now. I've seen from a few freelancers talking about, you know, it's it's harder to win contracts. It's you know everything's taking a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like maybe we're seeing a trickle down effect from that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my experience on even my personal overview is like, just be a little more cautious with how money is spent. Um, not go gung ho on gung ho on new SaaS tools. Like, try to make the most of the ones you already have, or kind of use more consolidated ones that share features. Um, you know, really look at what are all the things I am paying for, and are the things I should be like cutting down on, if not cutting altogether, which is kind of like reducing in some way. So I'm probably not like the perfect representation of everyone else, but I bet that's like at the bare minimum, everyone's mindset. If not yeah. like, oh, we're on like a, f- you know, spending freeze or we need to make drastic cuts. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I'm going a bit against the grain right now. You know, we just m- massively increased our burn rate uh, <laughs> over this, with, with just the new hires. Um But I'm enjoying where we're headed so much. Like it's it is it's been great having a larger team. That I'm like, okay, like I don't want to cut down now. <laughs> like I want to figure yeah. out, okay, how can yeah. we grow revenue more to really afford this going forward? Because right now we're we're a little bit in front of revenue, but mm-hmm. I think we can get there. Um, but now the the churn is starting to be a little bit of a problem. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I'll definitely keep an eye on it. I suspect that it probably won't like last that long either. Um, I'll probably be a little bit more like seasonal or kind of in spikes. Yeah. If I had to guess, there will probably like most of the churn that a lot of companies will experience in the next year will be, there'll be definitely like an influx in churn because businesses are no longer functioning, no longer in business, um, and or delinquent. Uh, but otherwise could be seasonal. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely seen some of the, you know, we shut down our website, we shut down our company. Uh, so we'll have to see going forward. Yeah. There's, <clears throat> I know you listened to the all in pod, but, um, I think it was David Sachs. Maybe he was talking about how <clears throat> the kind of like a bubble and, a lot of like the, the crypto craze and zero interest rates um, helps a lot of businesses grow faster, but it also kept a lot of businesses who should have gone out of business, raise another round, mm-hmm. um, make a little bit more money, stay afloat somehow, make ends meet. And so they were saying that they kind of expect a lot of those businesses to finally go out of business within the next year or two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, makes sense.
Should we do an AI bit or no? (laughs) Go for it. I'm I'm down for it. (laughs) All right. So here's what I find interesting. You know, people are talking about chat GPT as I can, I can never, when I'm saying that, I don't know if I'm saying the G G P T. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they're <laughs> <laughs> saying, you know, is, is it the Google killer? Is it, is it too early? I will say I find myself first. It was, you know, I always go to Google, ask my, you know, search for whatever. And then lately I'll go to Google, Google type something in search query gives me back like this list of links to look through. And then I'm reading like the, you know, sort of the pre description text that you get. And I'm like, ah, like, I just want this question answered. You know, I'll give you an example. The other day it was like, what's the best way to store fresh cilantro? (laughs) And like, I get this list of links Uh, and like all the, just like the, the descriptions are just like the SEO spam, like the story Mm -hmm. about like, you know, and then there's like a wiki how page and just like all this garbage. And I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. All right, I'm going to go chat GPT, chat GPT, which they need to come up with a better name for that. So it's a, it's a better <laughs> verb. Um, <laughs> put my question in. Oh, it gives me like, yes, you need to just, uh, you know, wrap it in wet paper towel, put it in a plastic bag with some holes and, and you can store it in the refrigerator for five days. And I'm like, hmm. this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so now I find myself actually going to chat GPT first which mm-hmm. is like, it's just so interesting to like watch your behavior as it changes over time as, you know, it's like, that's how disruption comes about. And yeah, I know Google today just announced that they are, they have their new AI that they're going to start rolling out uh, and rolling it out as part of Google search. But uh-huh. it's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy times right now. I know SEO is about to get kind of gnarly. <laughs> um, <laughs> between Bing and Google and yeah. You know, Bard AI, I think it's called. Bard AI, that's um, right. In general, like I'm, I'm not. Like Chat GPT, I think is not going to be free forever, or at least not the way mm-hmm. that's going to be like full access. In fact, they just rolled out their subscription plan. And in general, I'm more bullish on OpenAI using this tech to like, as an API, if anything, and just like being powering features for other apps. Um, but as soon as it flips to like Bing or Google being like a, a main, you know, or something within like Chrome, just being like a ask a question type of thing. Mm. As soon as that happens, then it's going to be like a major kind of tectonic shift within how it's used. Um, but I'm still like, I'm interested to see how it plays out in the future. Um, I don't know. And just like how much market share it actually does take because for really simple questions or things that are like well-versed, you know, it can regurgitate that all day long, but Mm -hmm. for things that you actually do want to read a lot about or that are so niche that I can't really give you like a good answer for, I don't know how well it'll do. And it kind of reminds me of like the, um, you know, the power law and like the distribution curve where it's like most searches are like these super niche searches. Like long and tail. Then, yeah. The long tail. And it's like a really, really, really long tail where it's something like 15% of all searches are, are brand new queries every month. And I'm like, how is it going to keep up with that? Because I don't know. I, I think that people, it, it doesn't take very long before you get a, a wrong answer or something that's not exactly right. And then people don't know that it's just kind of regurgitating old information and guessing at how accurate it'll be. And then they kind of throw it all together. And then I think it'll, I think it'll kind of like switch the narrative will be like, this is amazing. The same way the crypto was like, this is the coolest thing ever to like, oh, this is a scam <laughs> with mm. AI. It'll be like, oh, this is so cool to like, oh, you can't trust it. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge believer. Like, yes asking it code questions right now, like I would say almost every time if I try to ask it to do something and then I paste the code in, you know, it doesn't run right away. You have to fix that. So for maybe more, like you said, niche or, or technical areas, it's, it's maybe not as accurate. I think the other thing you said that was important is the, the interface, like 
there is just enough friction right now where, you know, I have to, it's like chat.openai.com, you know, first of mm-hmm. all, that's like <laughs> a long URL. And then I have to log in because a lot of times it kicks you out mm-hmm. and, you know, and obviously their servers are on fire and all of that stuff. Whereas if it was just in Chrome or, you know, wherever, just, just on bing.com, like that's, that's going to reduce a lot of friction, Yeah, uh, which, yeah. which will be huge. Yeah. Which I think Google and Bing and like, they all know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I, I would agree though. Like there, there are definitely some things where it, it works amazingly well. Um, like I was just, again, as a part of this whole like capitalization thing for swipe well, um, we created like a founding founders agreement that just outlines like some kind of major points of like what it means to work together and sort of like worst case scenario type of type of stuff. And, um, and me and Connor were talking about how there was one part of this, like I just grabbed a template online. I think it was from like YC or something like that. And it basically has this little clause about, uh, voting. But since we're both 50, 50 partners, we need like a tiebreaker. So I was like, Oh geez, like I need to go Google <laughs> like, or like finger figure Corn out how flip. this works. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, wait a second. What if I just ask chat GPT to like decide something or like see what it says. And so I literally wrote in, I said, write me a legal clause that states in the case of a voting tie, each of the founders will take turns making the final call starting with Connor. And then it wrote like a legal clause. Oh my God. And, um, I just like pasted that into the, the Google doc. And I was like, I just saved like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, That's amazing. there are certain things like that where I'm yeah. like, well, this is like, yeah. we're never going back, you know, like, right. It's just, it's way better. It's not even just, um, easier or like quicker, but right. you know, it's generating this for me instead of me having to, you know, do the research, understand it, write it myself, double check it with something else or try to copy someone else's like it's creating this for me. Yeah. It's incredible. I love it. Yeah. That one, that one's been a lot of fun. Um, and I was like, dang, what else can I like use this for? That just like, I've, <laughs> I've been thinking like putting this off that it's too much work that I could just dump it into chat GPT and see what it says. Um, but again, same thing, like there, there is no, there is no, uh, like information for it to go off of, to generate a help doc for swipe. Well, for example, it's like, I mm-hmm. have to write that, but I bet you now, if you said like, write me a help doc on, um, how, you know, Zendesk works or something like that, how to create an account in Zendesk or how to create an account in Webflow, it could probably do that because it's been able to process enough data and, um, especially like given that domain, um, where it's just not, you know, it, it can't cover that yet. Cause it's literally impossible given the way that it works. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing you mentioned, like the long tail and the, it does have the limitation of the, the information cutoff that's like 2021. So it, it you know, anything newer than then or more recent than then it, it's not aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one area where I think Google probably could have a huge upper hand on oh my gosh you know figuring out how to get these models up to date information so oh speaking man, of google it's gonna be fun to see uh we'll link to it in the show notes but peter levels had a tweet just talking about google and how they've like always been ahead on ai but they just never been mm. able to actually execute on a shippable product and um it's amazing how badly they've fumbled <laughs> <laughs> like, like now they're trying to catch up with this Baird AI stuff, but he was like, it's just crazy. Like they announced Baird AI, but there's no landing page. There's no link. Right. It's just right. a, like a white, it's a, like a white paper press release basically. Yeah. And it's like coming yeah. soon. But you know, Jeff GPT whose approach was literally the exact opposite where it was like, this is now available. Click here and start using it, create a free account. And that just generates way more buzz. Cause you can actually use it and see it and experience it. Um, and yeah, so I've had this idea, like I've always thought that there's a huge opportunity for uh, generative music using AI because music is math. Fundamentally, it's just, okay. There's like these spectrum of frequencies. We know that there are these rules of, well, these notes go well with each other and every beat is a math equation of 
you know, it's timed um, and it's, you know, there's thirds and fourths and eighths and, you know, then we have all these different like progressions that we know work for songs. Anyways, it's like, it should be able to spit out songs super, super easily. And then I saw that Peter linked to this like white paper ish type thing about Google research labs working on a music AI. I was like, mm. of course, but it was from 2021 <laughs> and there's still nothing usable. Yeah, man, they're really dropping the ball. Like, how is it so hard to ship something that people can use? And then when they do ship something, then they immediately deprecate it like two years later. You know, it's like, yeah, I, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's it's also kind of annoying some of their messaging around, you know, well, we don't want to ship this to the public because it's too powerful. Like we, we <laughs> want to protect the public. Like, mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Like uh, I'll link to the, uh, it's called music LM and they have this paper and this data set and they have these samples, but you still can't use it yourself. And it's like, why, why wouldn't you start to like monetize this and and capitalize on it as a, as a product? Um, it's still on the like Google research dot GitHub link. It's not even on (laughs) like a Google owned, you know, website essentially yeah and it seems like even if the argument is the cost to run it because you know you read all these stories about how open ai is spending whatever it is like billions of dollars to run this thing it's like if any company could afford to do that it's google yeah right exactly (laughs) (laughs) have all the money in the world they have like i don't know some ridiculous amount of cash like yeah 100 billion dollars in cash yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm trying to think of there's one other. I also saw um, there was like one of the first uh, generative video AI startups. They Their like prototype was starting with you can upload an existing video and it will sort of give you, allow you to put in like a, uh, like a dolly prompt, but then it'll change your video according to the style of the prompt. So you can record yourself like walking through a field and then be like, make this look like I'm jumping on the moon. And then it'll take that video and, you know, translate it to that version of what you describe. That's crazy. Super gnarly. But like imagine yeah. making a movie and you just want to make like a prototype of your movie, a little first run. And you literally yeah. just record yourself doing the scenes and then like, post recording you just run it through an AI model in the style that you want the movie to look like and then that's your like pitch to go make the movie to producer you're like look i already have this like low fidelity version it's the exact same thing let's just go film it just like this it's unreal it's wild man crazy times yeah all right well shall we wrap it there yeah sweet (laughs) well we'll have as many of those links and mentions as we can remember in the show notes and we'll see you on the next one